Say man, it's the greater podcast. Back with a special episode Here. in this quarantine time. Uh, yes, this is Moses, Mo Legend here. Gave on the mic. Sam on the ones and twos, baby. And this is Remy. What's good, y'all? And we have a special, <laughs> special guest with us. Um, some of y'all may know her. She's a, a DMV native, um, on-air personality, journalist, creator. Um, a, a woman of many talents, I'll say. Um, and we, we, we've known about her for some time, and uh, we're, we're happy to finally get her on the pod. Um, you may have seen her on BET, BH1, mm-hmm. uh, and some other platforms that she's going to talk YouTube. about. But, yep, mm-hmm. YouTube. She got why, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> we got Gia Peppers here with us Ooh. for a special episode. Hi, everybody. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. You know, and you didn't mention how you didn't mention the Wizards, my G. Right, right. That's what we was gonna say. That's what we was gonna say. Look, sports agent. If you if you went to any Wizards game from like. I don't know what year you left. Like twenty. Twenty. I know twenty sixteen. Twenty fourteen to like twenty seventeen, twenty eight. Yeah, I remember twenty sixteen. I was going to a couple games. I saw you and this one other guy. I forgot what his name was. Yeah, you guys were hosting together. Yeah. But if you've been to any Wizards game from those years, you've probably seen her there. Yeah. Hey, I was I was gonna get there. You know, (laughs) forgiveness. We gotta eat. Right. We gotta gotta keep each other accountable, bro. We got a full agenda, but nah, man, we appreciate um, you joining us today. Um, It's definitely a good conversation we're about to have. But before we hop into it, I want to give you the opportunity to just share a little bit more about yourself um, and who you are to some of our listeners who may not know. Awesome. Yes. Uh, Like like I was so beautifully introduced, my name is Gia Peppers. (laughs) Um, I'm an on-air talent, entertainment journalist, um, podcaster, part of Black Girl Podcast. Um, and live event host and content creator um, from the DMV. And for the DMV listeners, I was born at EC. You already know. <laughs> I uh, moved out to PG. Then we did MoCo. Now we're back in DC. Ooh. So it's all over the place. <laughs> um, <laughs> literally. Um, and so, yeah, I uh, love this this city. I love this area, like with all, all my heart. Um, I've been living in Brooklyn since I graduated from Rutgers University. Um, and then during the quarantine, I didn't want to stay up there by myself. So I've been home with my family for the past like three months. Um, and uh, yeah, I I essentially, you know, am here on assignment from God. So yeah. whatever use that he sees fit, I pray for that. And I just try and go out and show up and do what I have to do. And um, I'm really grateful to have a platform where I can essentially uh, be myself. And I think one of the most important things about like navigating this industry, especially in this current time, is you have to be proud of who you are, what you believe, what you want to see in the world. And hopefully as you share more people, you will find you will find like-minded people and continue to grow from there. Um, but for me, yeah, I'm a sister. I'm a daughter, somebody, future wife. Um, hey, hey, uh, let's get it. Friend. For all you know, of your listeners. 
I have a, I'm a niece friend, all that. So like, you know, it's, it's all, all things, um, you know, so I'm just here, here, here to see what this combo was about today. Um, <laughs> but I'm excited. I'm excited to, to, to chat with you guys. So thank you for having me. For sure. Awesome. For sure. Before we, before we hop into it, we was having a discussion. I'm, I'm the only one on the pod from MoCo. The others are from PG. Uh, we're gonna get it. We we're gonna yeah. get into the logistics of, of where you grew up, but I didn't know you were from. That you had some time in Moco. Yeah. So, where. so um, I was born in DC at Providence Hospital. My family, my family's like family DC home. My mom is born and raised like Washingtonian. Pretty much lived here all their life. My dad's mm-hmm. from Rhode Island, um, and so they met and they pretty much got married and fell in love. And so they moved into my family's like owned home. It's on like Channing Street behind Heckinger Mall and over over there um, in, in the city. So we lived there for a while. Then we moved out to Bowie, Lake Alba. We was out in Lake Alba um, for a while. And then Yo. my parents were building their dream house and they um, decided to locate to Olney or Brookville, Maryland, which is like, mm. it's Deep. like pretty much Clarksville. Like it's the country out there. Um, so... <laughs> Um, but I went to St. John's for high school. Um, I went to a small school called Holy Cross for elementary. Uh, yeah. and so like, and my mom's, my mom's dental office, my mom was a Howard grad. Um, Ooh, okay. hey, hey, yeah, age you, you know, yes, I've been to, <laughs> um, 18 Howard homecomings. My mom is also wow. a Delta. Goodness so gracious. literally everything I, I always say DC, um, because, I never really spent time in Maryland. Like mm-hmm. when I was growing up, we would be in the city hanging out. Like my dance school was on Georgia Avenue in Delafield. My mom's dental office is on Florida Avenue. My dad's office is in the, was in the heart of the city when he was at NPR. So like nice. Maryland didn't really shape me as much as DC did. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm always, you know, just, just, I think it's really important to rep or like all the places that shape who you are. And so for me, I always say DMV, DC, Maryland, because uh, obviously being also growing up in PG County, a lot of my best friends, you know, still live in PG County. So it it helped shape who I am and how I see the world. And yeah, so that's, that's my, my spiel. (laughs) Well, shout out to all the PG people and the MoCo people. Yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Not so much the MoCo, but you know. (laughs) You know, we'll we'll say that debate for later. You know what I'm saying? Right. But hey, uh, but yeah, so you know, as you know, this podcast, um, the greater podcast in general, it's all about inspiring others to let God be greater in all aspects of life and culture. So we're gonna just dive into that. Um, you know, knowing that you're in an industry um that is exposed to many things. Um, we're gonna just talk about that journey, talk about that faith and you know what it's like. Um before we hop into that, we do have a question that we Usually asked before, um, especially during this time right now, um, during this quarantine, what have you been learning um, and what have you been also watching during this quarantine? Like, what is something that, you know, either yourself you've been learning on your own or just what God has been really trying to, you feel like God's really been trying to teach you in this time? Yes. Um, Ooh, sorry, guys. (laughs) um, So I think for me, one of the things that I've been learning over quarantine is one how important it is to like set your early your first moments to be with God um don't it doesn't matter if you have a hundred things to do or nothing to do it's really important to just connect with God pray meditate 
I love incense. I didn't realize how much I love them until I did not have them and I had to find them. Um, I think it's a beautiful just way to connect with. It just helps create a better environment for you to connect atmosphere with. Setter, yeah. Huh? No, I said it, it's a good way to set the atmosphere. Yeah, you know, and just really allow a, a God to to you connect you to connect with God. Um, and for me, I think what God's been teaching me is to be a good steward over the platform I already have um, and be really, 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 really intentional about what I say and how I say it and understand that I'm not here to be like everybody else. He didn't make me like everybody else. My my identity in Christ is the one that we have totally and fully together um, that has nothing to do with anyone else. And so as long as I keep my eye on him and I keep my eye uh, eyes on what he wants me to do, I will be fine. I just can't worry about the thing about the internet right now is that there's literally no matter what you do, no matter what you do, there's going to be somebody who hates it. There's going to be somebody who you respect that's going to come out and be like, dang, I didn't like that. And and then it becomes this big thing. And so for me, what now, when I make decisions, you know, I take even more time to pray because I'm like, I already, I got to make sure that I'm hundred percent good with it. So when the backlash comes and the chatter comes, I know that at the end of the day, I wanted to do this because me and God talked about it and we're good. If somebody else has an issue, that's, that's on them. And so for me, it's been a lot about um, redefining my voice. I was listening to Priscilla Shire yesterday. Um, She has this beautiful sermon called identity in Christ on YouTube. And if you have any chances, I definitely um, suggest a listen on that, but she just kept talking about how, um, you know, God is the only person that can give you your name, like the people right. who create your life, your the outside of your parents, God is the only person that can give you your name. That's what you answer to. You don't worry about anything else, anybody else, and you go from there. Right. That's real, man. Social media right now, we are talking about it on our previous pod. Um, we were just literally, yeah, we were talking about, of course, what's been going on in the country. Um, the Black Lives Matter movement, yeah. um, police brutality, all that. And even just talking about social media, like social media right now is a is a shaky place, but it's also, you know, a really good place in terms of awareness. But as you know, people, there's been casualties left and right on social media. People being canceled left and right, canceled, quote unquote, as Remy would say. Um, but now nah, that's real. Like <laughs> identity in Christ and, and speaking what what he wants us to say. Yeah. Even on this platform, like that's something that we struggle with often. Um, even in putting out the last podcast, we were just like, hey, man, it's emotional, vulnerable. Some people may listen. Some people may like it. Some people may not. But we felt like God called us to do that. Amen. I had a question in regards to what you said about being responsible for your platform. And like in light of everything that's going on pertaining to Black Lives Matter, like how do you know when it's the time for you to like say something? Because a lot of people are listening to you and tuning into what you say. And how do you know when it's time to just like be still and just listen to what's yeah. going on around you? Yes, I I am the type. I One of the things that I will never do is allow somebody else to control my platform or what I say mm-hmm. or how I show up in this world. I think it's mm-hmm. dangerous to see how many people have tried to shame celebrities into speaking right now. And I'm mm-hmm. not sure if you guys saw Dave Chappelle's special that came I out. Loved yeah. I loved yeah. it. I loved it. And he talked about, I loved the point he made about 
not allowing celebrity culture to overshadow what people are actually saying. The people who the are- streets are talking. The streets yeah. are yeah. the ones who are affected by this the most. Celebrities live in this insulated community of- Bubble. Uh, huh? I said a bubble. Yeah, they live in this bubble of, of not that they're not black, they're still black, but they do right, have right. a bit more access to privilege um, yeah. and privileges that, you know, because they're of in a higher a higher economic class, they're able to do more with their money. And I think the coolest parts have been seeing people just be able to give back more um, yeah, and yeah. kind of amplify the voices of the people on the front lines, like Tamika D. Mallory, like a Brittany Packnett Cunningham, like you know, color of change, like Rashad Robinson, like those people who are about this life, who like yeah. live this work, whether someone is in the pro- protesting in the streets or not. And so um, I think it's very dangerous to try to shame somebody to speak into something before they're ready. Um, yeah. And so for me, I do not, I do not listen to anybody but my myself and I have to, and that's why I have to like continuously always check in with myself because the platform that I do have, I don't want to mess it up. Like you, mm. you can mess things up by yeah. trying to yeah. rush out and say something we, we you're seen, not ready. We've seen some of them. We've seen yeah. some We've said a lot of people, oh man, pretty, pretty little thing. I think they, they rushed it. They put out a graphic and it was just like, kind of like horrible. They mishandled yeah. it and then everyone's shamed them oh, into wow. like changing. And I feel like a lot of companies did this where they're kind of like, they're backtracking because they were forced into a position where they had to like, just speak up very quickly because everyone wanted to hear from them. So then they do it, but then they misspeak because they don't, they haven't really like, uh, what, what do they read? They haven't really read the room. Yeah. So then they have yeah. to like scale back and, and then try to do things right. But by that point, everyone's already mm-hmm. written them off. Yeah. yeah. So, I think it's just it's hard. With, the, with the wave. I mean, people were just trying to like, stay relevant go with the wave do what everyone's doing but like that piece about not letting the outside culture i say or the outside pressures yeah. tempt you into making or into saying what you want or saying what they want you to say like that's gonna because we talked about in the last pod we're gonna hold you accountable to what you say um right. people are putting out statements left and right 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 so Gabe's point last week was like, all right, you said what you said. Let's see what it is. And so, Let me see hey, that man. executive board. You know, let's yeah, see your right. employees. Let's see where the real di- diversity stands. And I but think it's yeah. cool because people are, people are actually, you know, and that's why I don't I don't really discredit social media because people are actually using that. You know, when when you see a, an organization or a company put out a statement, yeah, that's cute. But mm-hmm. let's go ahead head to your website and see who's sitting on your board. Yeah, like, see what yeah. the room looks like. Let's ask your employees. And I think companies are now like really being checked in actuality, you know, like if they're actually putting their money where their mouth is kind of. Right. Yeah. Because I mean, if if everybody out here putting statements saying we stand, but the history has been what it was, something, right. something ain't right. You know what I'm nah. saying? The math ain't I mean, math. The track record speaks for itself, bro. Shout out Johnson and Johnson. <laughs> but, okay. Coming out with the band-aids. Yeah, sorry, yeah. my mom. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was a L. It was a L, bro. Yeah, because it was like you could have easily done this for how right. many years? They said right. after ninety nine years, though. They just came out with that. <laughs> yeah, band-aids. it's funny because like growing up, I feel like as a black individual growing up, you know, you see band aids, and I literally never thought it was for like white skin. You know, I just nope. thought it was the color, right? Of band aids, of band aids. You know yeah. yeah, you know what I'm saying. But now, like with all this stuff coming out, like. I'm just like, oh, snap. Now that you really think about it, it's just like, oh, kill. Like, this really so wasn't made for us. For white people. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I'm just like, dang, yeah. bro. That, that kind of hurts. They it kind of hurts. 
they for sure are th- this moment is such an interesting speaking of band-aids like we're ripping the band-aid off of so many uh mm, white people that real. put band-aids on little things that they that they did or have right, experienced yeah. or maybe even have harmed people um with you know racism in their own lives and this awakening that we're seeing is really wild too because you yeah. have people who weren't speaking before are now saying black lives matter you know black lives matter is a, a movement that i outright support and i think that's awesome i think it's beautiful to see that they're finally waking up and i think we have to also remember that this is this learning curve is steep they never yeah. had to realize what yeah. they what yep. felt like like yep. i did this program called share the mic now this social campaign and yeah, basically we're actually gonna talk about that yeah there was a lot of women a lot of super super talented A-list women like Julia Roberts, Brene Brown, D- D- Diane von Furstenberg, um, mm. uh, Brie, Brie, La- Brie Larson, all these, Mandy Moore, all these like hugely oh, wow. successful white women that partnered with Lovey Ajayi Jones and uh, Bazoma St. John to essentially center the voices of black women some black women we don't speak for all black women and we were just talking about what we cared about but even then like some white women are way more woke than others so you still have to like Mm -hmm. have those uncomfortable conversations but i'm like i understand that racism is not a black people problem it is a white people issue they made it we've had to deal with it but it's not our issue because we didn't we we don't even think like that like there's nothing in our minds that's like yeah no y'all are below me cuz you look like like no that's not right. that's not yeah. our issue so having those uncomfortable conversations if you're willing it's not our job to to teach them it's not our mm-hmm. job google works netflix has mad documentaries amazon right. prime all these people have there are resources you can yeah. absolutely use that but i also don't mind if the conversation is <laughs> something where I feel like I know there's a stage for me to be honest and vulnerable yeah. and truthful. Yeah. I don't mind having a conversation or two, but I'm not here to teach you. Like, that's not... Right. I, yeah. I don't... You watch many things. It's right. not... Yeah. It's yeah. weird. Even it's even my even my wife, she's, um, she's just leaving the teaching profession, and she was talking about how pretty much how limited, you know, like the black history taught in schools are, you know, cause that Man. should be the source all where lies. people are kind of getting at. And so, you know, she was teaching me, she was telling me about, um, about Rosa Parks and she was giving me the actual depth of the story. Cause you know, like I knew service level knowledge about it. And I was just like, dang, they didn't even tell us this part or this part or this part, you know, like Wait, educate the people. What part she talking about? No, just the fact, just the whole, like, um, so, like, I know, um, what's that boy's name? Shamik Moore just got blast, blasted on social media because of his comments regarding, um, regarding, you know, the story and the fact that uh, the the part that, like, just the fact that it wasn't just Rosa Parks. So, to me, I thought it was a simple instance where Rosa Parks had, you know, got on the bus, you know, what happened had happened as far as, like, you know, you need to sit at the back and, you know, boom, that's how it was done. That's how yeah. everything was kind of like, but no, there was just more, there was a group of women, there were, you know, a, there was a total group of people behind that whole effort um, more mm. so, but, you know, you're kind of just taught that this one event happened and then, you know, like the, revo- you know, like 
this is how they allow black people right all right this is how this is how black people got to sit anywhere on the bus or public transportation whereas it was something that took days and time and you know things of that nature but there's no even if even if it's touched on there's no emphasis on the process or what black people did more in those you know and i think it's all intentional though you know in american culture it seems like they try to suppress um black uh initiatives and stuff um so you know even the steps that we take you know and even recently in georgia you know voter suppression etc etc so Mm. it's just you know like i think they i think they cut out parts of the story that show triumph that show dedication that show perseverance um you know so that way sometimes we you know like i know as black people we need to look back and see how did they handle this to get this result you know, and sometimes yeah. it was a riot. Sometimes it was peaceful protesting, you know. But yeah, so mm. the deeper part of the story yeah. was just that there were more of a group of people who were going towards this with the boycotting. It was a more of a group effort and not just her sitting on the bus and being like, nah, you know. Yeah. One <laughs> thing I learned like later on, because I was mm-hmm. taught that she didn't, she refused to give a receipt because she was like tired, like after a long day of work. But later on, I learned through like just reading literature that she, it wasn't that she was tired physically. She said she was like, just tired of giving in to just like the whites only and being separated because there were certain times where bus seats would just be empty just because they didn't want black people sitting in them because right. they were at the front of the bus. And she she kind of just was taking a stand, but people thought it was a situation where it's like, nah, she's an old lady who didn't want to get up because she was so tired. It was just more than that. She was just, right. she, she just was tired of being told, this is what you have to do just because you were born this way. Yeah. No, it's funny because it's just like when you when you grow up, you know, history classes, all that stuff, like you hear about racism and obviously it's the history of our country. So in a sense, you almost feel like, you know, this was in the past, like racism is over. And it's just like my my wife was even telling me today, it's just like, you know, like we're all around the same age. So like in high school, like in a sense, it's, a, it's almost like racism ended because like you didn't really hear much about, you know, racism happening on the news and just stuff like that. Like we didn't really hear about that because that was before Instagram, you know, like that was before like all the, the social media age in a sense. Yeah. But it's just like crazy because it's like now like we're thinking about it, it's just like racism never went away, fam. It's just like, right. it's like now obviously like we can see it because all the mobile phones and everything that we're able to see on Instagram and everything yeah. that is kind of popping up the on the news. Of it. And it's just yeah. crazy because it's just like in a sense, it's almost like we've been sheltered from the news. You know what I'm saying? We've been sheltered from like actually seeing like what's actually happening in our world just because of the lack of technology that was present around the time. You know, so I don't know. I just really thought that was interesting how, like, because I'm going to speak for myself, like, in high school, I, I was not necessarily thinking about, like, racism. I wasn't necessarily, like, thinking about, like, you know, police brutality, like, you know, being old enough to drive, eventually having to, like, you know, keep my hands on the dash or whatever the case may be. Like, I've never even had those conversations with my parents. Never? Um, so for me, never. That's, that's so I'm, crazy I, to me, bro. We're not talking about I, it. Because I've never because I'm Nigerian. I'm not, I'm not speaking for myself. But for, for me and my Nigerian parents, like, because racism in Nigeria is different. You know what I'm saying? Like, so for, for my parents coming to the States, obviously, like, racism was present during the time they came. But I guess, like, they didn't know enough to, like, educate me and my siblings on racism and, like, things that we yeah. should look out for. Like, literally, yeah. like, it never never had the conversation. So, like, yeah. in a sense, me being an American citizen, like, having to, like, really learn all of this obviously at an older age about like, man, like nah, racism is real. It's like, this is what happened in the past. And like, this is yeah. how I now need to navigate as a black man, especially like seeing all this stuff now on the news. 
it's like, oh nah, like this is this stuff is real. Like this is oh, it's real, real. It's yeah. real, real. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So I don't, it's just it's yeah, just no. interesting. This I think every black like person, a... every black person can recognize the moment in which they discover they were black, whether it's somebody discriminating yeah. against them, making them feel uncomfortable, or yep. just like just just denoting the the differences in them and like making them feel lesser than. Like we all have that moment. We even if we can't remember it at our during our childhood, like when we were teenagers or like in our early twenties, there was that one pivotal moment that's like, all right, I'm different, and I, was, I don't know why people look at me this way. Yeah, I was definitely in second or third grade because, again, when you grow up in this area, it's very, it's a very different experience. Very, yeah, because but it was the Chocolate City before, like growing up. Legit, legit. DC was black, black, black. Black on black on black, black, black. <laughs> right. When when I went, so my mom, so I went to a preschool on Shepherd Street and 13th called Tax Developmental School. And it was like so cute, so black. We, you know, it was everything. And my mom, um, when we moved out, um, when we started to move out in PG and then other areas, she didn't want us to go to PG public schools. Um, so she was like, well, we're going, you know, going to go private. And so my private school experience was very small and it was a predominantly white school. Um, and so I remember being in second or third grade and watching of the, my friend Martin, remember my friend Martin? The yeah. Yeah. History yeah. Month. And, yeah. and, and huh. when I tell you, I remember just everybody like slowly staring at me and looking at me and you're you are eight or nine and you're wow. like the black expert right i'm a i am not the expert on black people Yo, i right. am black but like you know this i was i think at that point because no one really took me aside and said like this is not something that makes you worse or less than i felt like i it, i didn't want to associate myself with that time era and time because it was so painful to be different from my classmate. Yeah. And I was like, well, that, you know, that that stuff is so old. Like, that was so long ago. But literally, you know, not understanding that my grandparents fought, that, like, my mm, great-grandparents right. fought, that my great-great-great-parents were slaves. And not understand. I mean, you're a child. And so as I got older, I realized how empowering it is to be of the same bloodline, the same, the same people that right. fought their way from property to being in the highest state and culture as the president, like how powerful it is to know that the stuff that we go through is not only something that we can defeat, it's something that we can thrive through if we mm -hmm. all just focus and understand that, you know, the moments where we're, we need to speak, we got to speak. Like, yeah, legit, we legit. have no choice. Yeah, and I think for me, um, kind of picking off, backing off of what everybody's saying that, you know, similar to Sam, like it became a norm for me growing up, just like, you know, the things that we see as the stereotypes and, you know, the things that are normal for black people, um, it just became a norm for me. So I didn't really think much of it. Um, I just kind of adapted to it. Um, and then, you know, what's beautiful about this moment is kind of what you mentioned, the Band-Aid is being ripped off. You know, the conversation is now becoming the norm where similar to what you said, I've been, I haven't been focusing on you know, teaching somebody, you know, that hasn't been my MO. That's not the thing. I think for me, what has been really great about this moment is perspective is being seen and being heard in this moment. Right. And then for me, even at work, we had an open forum uh, just about, you know, everything that's been going on. And I 
shared some things that I didn't really realize were were norms to me and not to everybody else. You know, I live mm-hmm. in a suburban suburban area. I ride uh, ride my bike during this quarantine. I've been trying to you know get fit, you know, stay conditioned. Um, and of course, you know, there's white people in the neighborhood. As I'm riding, you know, some may not even look up. You know what I'm saying? And and you know that they see you coming, but they don't look up. But then for others that are, are white, they do see me. And it's funny because at this time right now, you can kind of tell that there's people that are going out of their way to be like, I see you and I hear you. And that's the stuff that I kind of share. I'm like, yeah, that leaves me, you know, hopeful and um, hopeful for, for better days because I also share like a norm for me driving the car and I see a cop behind me automatically. Where's my, where's my registration? Where's, do I have everything? Exactly. I was driving somebody else's car, a Mercedes. I'm like, damn, I'm driving a Mercedes. I don't know where the registration is at. It's, you know, who knows? Glad they didn't, they didn't uh, pull over, but that I realized that's a norm for me, but somebody that's not even their thought process. Right. The point where they can say, why did you stop me? So for me, I've been trying to focus more on perspective (laughs) And even yeah. going out to um, seeing things with uh, Share the Mic Now, those conversations and even going out to the protests and seeing how there was a lot of unity going on. And, and mm-hmm. that's the stuff that really, you know, I went, we went out to, I went out to the DC one, Remy did, um, there were some other ones that we, we went to, but just that unity aspect, you know, I saw at some points there was like more white people than black. I was like, dang. Like, yeah, that was kind of fire to see. Yeah. So that's... Um, that's what I've been really trying to focus on. Just that perspective. You know, I'm not here trying to, trying to teach anybody like, yo, this will happen, this, this, that, or there, but this is my perspective. You know, this is why I feel like this. And this is what it means when, when you say you hear me and you see me, I want, I want it to be true because this is what I go through. Type yeah. Of thing. yeah. But yeah. not to stay on this topic too long because, you know, we're here for, we have a guest. We have a guest. No, I mean, that's, uh, we are in the midst of a, catalysmic change in this country like you can't Uh, as much as I tell people all the time like you know I know I think about it all the time and I'm just like it's so weird that white people kind of treated racism as a fairy tale that Mm -hmm. something black people kind of make up with in their head how could every black person be lying right Right. and I'm just like (laughs) it is so weird to have to I've had I've had conversations especially during on the share the mic now platform where it was like Mm. Oh, you legit? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, okay. That's how you feel. Uh, you know that's and I've had to call out and be like, that's unfair. That's not true. That's not. Abs- that's absolutely wrong. You shouldn't say that. Like you got to understand. Mm. Like you know the 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 what's saddening for me is to even have to still scream Black Lives Matter because that mm. should be a given. That should be a duh. That should yeah. be. Like, why wouldn't they? Right. If everyone, especially the people who are like, oh, we're all a part of one race, the human race, we shouldn't separate it. Cool, fam, check this out. Right. The whole time we've been here since 1619, Black lives have literally not mattered in the scheme of anything y'all planned. Ever. Mm, yeah. So, Dang. yes, right now, we while we have this moment, while in many ways we can... The, the Black voice is so powerful right now, thanks to social media, thanks to music, thanks to sports, thanks yep. to all of our leaders looking like us mm. um, and white kids loving LeBron James and loving Beyonce and loving uh, all those little so-and-sos. 
Thanks to everybody being so, so uh, influenced by black culture. Now we have these moments where we can not only make movies lit and make things lit and push projects, we can push movements. And I think that's what we're seeing. We're in the midst of a time where black people are like, yeah, you can't just love the culture. You got to love us too. Nah. Yeah. I think same energy. I always say sports, music, and food are the things that bring everybody together. Um, and, I'm, and we're seeing that now. And it's, it's great to have leaders that are kind of pushing that charge and pushing the narrative like, yo, this Black Lives Matter. And, you know, even bringing it to a biblical perspective, there's two stories that really align with the whole prioritizing Black lives at this moment. Right. And we've probably been seeing on social media how God leaves the 99 for one. Mm. and prioritize the person that is lost and is oppressed and is discriminated but also the whole story about the 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 samaritan the good samaritan and we talked about on the pod last time where you know some person is down um and got robbed on their way i think to jerusalem and you know there was a priest that saw him went on the other side walked by him there's another person that saw him saw somebody hurt and bleeding out walked by him but there was a samaritan man that stopped and prioritized the guy that was hurt took him under his wing and, you know, made sure that even whatever it costs to take care of him. And that's the moments that we're in right now. You know what I'm saying? Loving thy neighbor is that, you know, leaving the 99 for the one is that. And and that's, you know, to, to kind of, I guess, move on, like close it on that. Like that's, that's where we're at right now, man. Like this is a, a beautiful time. It's historic, you know, um, we're going to be living, we're living through history. That's going to be in history books Legit. later on. Yeah. And that's yeah. the beauty of it. Um, but yeah, so. That's real. But moving on to some some other good conversation. Yeah. We want to hop into a little bit more about you, about your journey. Of course, we know you're from the DMV. You know, we did some research, of course, knew that you grew up dancing um, and doing some other things and went on to Rutgers University. And funny um, and interesting fact is you interning for Wendy Williams. Yes, <laughs> Which we saw. Yeah. So we want to just, you know, kind of give you time just to talk about your journey um, and, and getting to where it is right now. Just that whole, that whole aspect and, and your perspective on that. Yeah, yeah. So I definitely um, grew up dancing, singing, and acting. Um, I, when I was a kid, if you would have asked me at 13, I would have said, I'm going to be a singer. Um, I love entertainment. I was always, always hoarding magazines in the grocery aisle. I asked my mom if I get one more J14, a word up. Like I was always (laughs) begging, always in love with Bow Wow or Romeo. Like I just always knew that I was going to be in entertainment in some way. And so, um, you know, my mom, my mom's a dentist. And she don't play that. So she was like, you need to have a backup plan. Right. You need to know (laughs) that at the end of the day, like I, you know, yeah, your dream is cute. But in her mind, you know, that's a that's a dream that is lofty, especially being from this area. We don't see, especially in the early night, late 90s, early 2000s, there weren't many people from the DMV that were like outright saying they were from the DMV. Martin was. I didn't even realize Martin was from DC until later in life. Right. Never really even heard him say like, you know, I now mind you, I wasn't watching. I wasn't old <laughs> enough to be watching television, you know, or, or his stand up. So, you know, that later on, I realized he was more open with it. But I never knew 
many celebrities that that were from here. And so my mom was very adamant about me studying other things. And she would ask us every day. I'm the oldest of three. Um, I have a little sister and a little brother. Um, they, she would ask us every day five things we want to be. Um, and so I would say a singer, an actress, a vet. I loved dogs. And then I was like, I didn't realize you had to go to learn about every part of science. So that didn't work out. I also don't love blood. So that did not work out. Um, and then I was, uh, I always said a journalist or, you know, a television host. And so, you know, there's literal footage of me. We've been watching so many old videos. There's footage of me. My dad was big on home videos. So there's so much footage of me being like, welcome back to the show we're here and this is like seven years old introducing the scene every time and so um and even there's a baby video of me and I'm like three months maybe five months old and my dad is holding the camera and I'm just like doing baby movements and he's like hey this is Gia Peppers I brought her to the newsroom today and she told everyone that she's going to be a broadcast journalist and I'm like who who and I'm like five months and when we saw it last year because my parents sold our childhood home so when Uh, we saw it last year it was like (laughs) oh wow this you can't tell me god isn't real because that's crazy and so um so fast forward high school um my sister and I start going to the Debian Dance Academies in LA their summer intensives and so every summer for like 3 to 4 weeks we would live in LA and just dance all the time and so this was when like rise that crunk that crumbin movie was out and like you got served <laughs> with lit so we got to like dance with all of those choreographers and so we thought we were famous chris brown came to the studio like brandy what? was there denzel Washington. it was like everything and so um, that was when I knew I could have a viable career in entertainment. And so I knew I had to, for me, I knew journalism would probably be the best feat because I love writing and I love telling stories. And so my dad is a journalist. He worked at NPR for 23 years and now he's at the Associated Press. Um, and so he would take me into the newsroom and I always thought his job was so much cooler than my mom's. Like my mom's like nice, like she takes care of people, but his was like, <laughs> oh, this is like, you get to tell people what's dope. Okay, I like that. And so um, I went to college. Um, I graduated from high school, you know, and I did like the morning news and I would write for the newspaper every now and then um, when I wasn't like dancing or doing musical theater. So I went to college and my dad was just like, hey, like from your first summer out, you should probably do internships. And so my first internship was here in, at WPGC. Um, Donnie Simpson was the morning show host, and like my mom loves hey, Donnie Simpson. Like love years, years back in the day. Yo, if you don't know Donnie Simpson show, Donnie Simpson show on the way to school all the time. If you don't know that, then you really not from here. Like I don't know. You know, my mom grew up loving him. So that was everything. I just applied and I got the internship. And that was the summer where I knew I wanted to do entertainment because Donnie is like a literal angel. Um, Mm. He would make every single person that came into the studio feel better than when before they walked in. And his presence, his willingness to just love on people, he understood um, that people are, whether you're a journalist or or, uh, whether you're a janitor or a Jill Scott or the mayor or, you know, Michael Jackson, every single person needs to have 
a moment to just talk and be seen mm-hmm. and just enjoy. And he was just, he was just so great. And for me, I was like, okay, so if I can be nice, if I can be a good human being, uh, quote unquote, good human being, I would really love to continue this. So I, uh, after that, interned with Big Tigger um, and Free. When they were hosting this show for a little Tough. while. Yes, I loved it. Um, Tig oh, showed me the, the lit side of the industry. So, you know, he was, he's incredible and still- Hey, Rap City. Yeah, every I'm not sure what it was. I mean, obviously, BET's head central offices started in DC, but what, mm. for whatever reason, whenever shows would end on BET, the host would end up coming to 95.5 for a bit. It was very interesting. So mm. I met like a lot of people who had hosted on BET, and so hey, cutie, and so went um, <laughs> to. So it was it was beautiful to hear about their stories. Obviously, Free was one of the people who made me want to be a host because we all grew up loving One on Six and Park. Like that's that. Um, right. And so you know that that exposed me to the entertainment side. So then once I went back to uh, Rutgers, uh, junior year, I started entering for the Wendy Williams show, and that was crazy because you had this was like her first season. Um, so the the show was fairly small. Everybody knew Wendy Williams as the shock jock who spoke her mind and outed people at times and did all type of stuff. And But on yeah. TV, they wanted to clean her up just a little bit those first few seasons. So it was like mm. navigating how she could balance being Wendy Williams, but also like daytime morning show Wendy Williams. Um, and so it was really an awesome experience because that was when I realized that I had the power to like push myself and be disciplined. And so while everybody was doing $2 Tuesdays, I was on a bus going into the city at like 4 a.m., and then working all day until 12 so I could get there, you know, at 7 a.m. and with the rest of the interns because you go live at 10 a.m. from New York. Um, and so little by little, I just kept building my resume. I interned with Live with Kelly and Michael um, at the time. It was incredible. I love that show. I think it's an, an awesome show. Now it's Live with Kelly and Ryan. Um, and so I just did a lot of interning. I also was a part of this program called the Women in Entertainment Empowerment, uh, Women in Entertainment Empowerment Network, WEEN. Um, which is an awesome, beautiful collective of Black women who just decided to give Black girls a little leg up in the entertainment industry. If you could get to New York and you could be there for a month, I definitely recommend it. Uh, because essentially what it is, it's like, I want to work for Diddy Meets, like, um, not America's Next Top Model, because you don't get eliminated, but like meets the, meets the entertainment industry for Black women. Um, and so... Every week you would focus on a different track of entertainment. And the first week was like knowing yourself and loving yourself. And they would have experts and, and, and life coaches come in. Second week was like on-air talent work. So I got to meet like Angela Yee before the Breakfast Club, like like when right when the Breakfast Dang. Club was really popping off. Um, and she and I are still really good friends, like Alicia Renee and all these people that I looked up to on TV were just in your face. Um, and so that was a beautiful experience. Just be, having that tangible representation, representation is so important for people who are trying to get to the next level of their careers. And then also all those women are still in my life today. My manager is one of my ween sisters. I get, you know, we hook each other up with jobs, like peer group movement is really important as well. And then, um, yeah, when I graduated from college, there this was, you know, the economic downturn of that time, so 2012, were no jobs, nothing. I had interned everywhere, um, but I did not have a job offer. And I went to the National Association of Black Journalists uh, conference, the summer conference they do. Um, if you're a journalist and you're Black, I definitely you know, recommend NABJ joining it, joining your student chapter, because um, they're really great with 
helping the next generation of uh, Black journalists just thrive. And so I uh, ended up getting a job at the career fair. Um, and my first job in the business was working overnights as a per diem desk associate for CBS Radio News. Um, and so I did that for about six months. I would work from midnight to 8 a.m. covering the news desk, making and uh, coming, uh, getting getting everything ready for the the, the news anchors as shifts would would switch over. Um, and also during that time, there was like three to five a.m. No, two to four a.m. where things were really quiet in the newsroom. And during that time, I would literally be up planning my movements of like what I wanted to do in this field, what how I wanted to do it. Um, and so it was great, but I knew hard news wasn't for me. Um, and so I it was traumatizing. And so uh, I got back into entertainment uh, at this startup called NSTARS and just freelancing and hustling. And then I was uh, chosen to work at Essence um, as the associate editor of EssenceFest.com. I did that for about uh, um, like a year, uh, which was a beautiful experience. But then I, when I saw how much different the talent gets treated versus the staff, I was like, yeah, I'm gonna go and be a talent because I have the talent. I already know what I want to do. This is this y'all getting paid. What That's you so not getting real. paid to go out there and right. they get? Oh, okay, I'm right. going. So right. then the next week, the next time, uh, the next Essence Fest out, I was booked as a host for the Verizon Super Lounge, and I was interviewing Maxwell and wow. all these incredible people with Rodney. Um, and then I got the call for the Wizards when I was freelancing, um, freelancing in New York. Uh, long story short, there there were auditions, and every week during preseason, um, you know, they would allow people to kind of vote in and out. The the women who were there, um, they just saw my reel and liked it. I went into the arena, mind you, this whole time my parents had season tickets, so I grew up watching every Wizards player there was, like oh, Kwame, that's dope. Kwame Brown, Juan Dixon. Ugh. Why would that be the first one you named? Exactly. Of all the people to name, I was right. I mean, I just, I was just thinking. You know, I what I'm saying is, I've been there through the rough times. Uh, So that's true. Been there through every time. Um, And so, you know, it's just, it was just like, again, God, because at that time, I also accepted a position to work with Ebro at Hot 97. And so oh, wow. Ebro had just known me Ebro. through the streets. I, I, you know, just being out. One of the one of the most important parts of networking is just being out, being visible, and doing the work. So like, partying is a part of the entertainment industry. Networking at a party or an event is a part of being in the entertainment yeah. industry. Um, but if you have excellent work at the same time, people are going to get to know you. If you're on red carpets and you're doing great interviews. That's how I met Ebro. Um, and he just remembered me and he was like, yo, I'm starting a website. I want you to be the editor, uh, the main editor over it. And I'll give you free reign. You just have to come into the studio with me two to three times a week um, and try to get here by 7 a.m. We'll go over what needs to be done. And it really was so awesome because I got to manage my own team of interns. And then I got to meet all the girls from Black Girl Podcast. They were all working there. So oh, yeah. one day we were all talking and Ebro was like, we were just talking about girl stuff. He was like, yes, girl, leave him. He ain't even all that. And oh, he was just like, oh, oh. man. <laughs> it was something, Dang, it was like one man. of those moments where like our oh, friend man. needed us to reinforce who like who she is, like how fire she is. Like it was, you know, a right. dude who's acting crazy. And and so, moment. Yeah, we needed that. And so he was 
filming us and he was like wow this is what a black woman podcast would look like and he was like y'all should just start a podcast and we was like that's probably actually a good idea and so we started the podcast then and like four years later we're all doing so so in so many incredible things um and so yes and then at that time i started working with bet so everything started happening around the yeah. same time. Um, and the Wizards, I was literally, my day-to-day grind in New York for four years looked like waking up in the morning, going into whatever office I needed to be in, whether that was Essence or Hot 97 or at BT or on a set, working from about like eight to 12, hopping on a bus or train at 12 or 12.30, getting down to the uh, Union Station by like So you lived in New York the whole time you hosted? Yeah, the whole time. Jeez. What? Yes. Wow. And so getting to the oh, arena by like 5.30, getting to the arena by like 5, doing my own hair and makeup, 5.30, we have production meetings. We go from 5.30 to, you know, 5.45, getting down the run of the show of what we're going to do for the day, um, eating, dinner, and then 6.15, our pre-show would start, doors would open, and then we would get and host the game, which was, I love the NBA so much, so I lived. It was the greatest thing ever. And so, um, you know, working till 9, 9.15, my mom is a huge basketball fan too, so if she wasn't at the game, she was, you know, getting getting me at the end of the night. We get back, we head back to the house. Dad wakes me up at 4.15 a.m. I'm back on a 5.25 a.m. train and in the city at my desk by 8.30 a.m. Like wow. I never left. Jesus. So wow. I did that. That's God. <laughs> and, but, One word. God. Jesus. But it's also hustle, determination, and focus. Because yeah. one of the things that I did really, huh. really, was really intentional about is like when I got the Wizards call, I knew I did not want to leave New York because the opportunities I had at Essence and Hot 97, two of the most influential brands in this yeah. game, I was yeah. not going to let go. I was like, I'm not moving back home. So I prayed, I remember praying on the last audition back to the back to um, DC, um, New York to DC. And I was just like, Lord, if this is for me, find a way to make this work. And thank God for Amtrak, and thank God for Bolt Bus, and thank God for Young being Young. That's a lot of bread, bro. Yeah, yeah. Well, they uh, the Wizards ended up covering it by my last two seasons. But yeah, the first two seasons it was a lot of bread. But Bolt Bus is only eighteen dollars, so no. Yeah, that adds up each game. Yeah, but you also get paid. Like it's not like (laughs) you're there as a like paid. Not that much, but enough to you know make money. Um, And so yeah, it was. It was so awesome because I got to host in front of 15,000 people every single night. And then I would go back and be having conversations. And, you know, Ebro was bringing in Travis Scott to the studio to do an interview. And then Essence, I was doing interviews with like Devon Franklin. And like, so, so like I was really able to be immersed in all aspects and I didn't want to give up anything. So I knew that meant less sleep, less hanging out more hustle, but I knew that it would bring me to a, a place. I trusted God. I always trust God to show me exactly yeah. where he wants to be so that's when things started taking off um and then pretty much since then there have been highs and lows there have been moments where i you know i didn't book much there's been moments where um you know i wanted to work in an office but for me i just know it's bigger i can't work in an office it's just not my my soul feels crippled i can't do it and so yeah yeah I feel that. 
God has always provided. Um, I have been living on my own for about four years and I have never missed a meal, never missed a bill, never missed anything. Um, And I, and I don't have an agent. It's just, that's why I'm like, me and God, me and my manager and God are making this uh, work. So that's pretty much my spiel. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I did have, I did have a follow up question, but I didn't want to cut you off. Yeah. It was just basically, um, as a believer, like in an industry like the entertainment industry, a, yep. a lot of people would say there's a lot of secular stuff going on. Yeah. And mm-hmm. compromising yourself is something that you would have to do to maneuver. But I'm sure you've had like moments where you've been like at crossroads where you'd have to either say yes to an opportunity or no to an opportunity. That's because it kind of, you know, interferes with your faith and what you have going on. But how has it been just maneuvering as a believer? Um. And I'd like to add on to that, even, you know, with as believers, our why usually looks different. You know, a lot of people are probably in your industry because they want to be known. Right. Mm. And, you know, as believers, I think it's a different for us, especially with these industries. So, yeah, you can speak to that, too. I will say I don't know how people navigate entertainment or sports or any of these industries where your next check isn't necessarily coming every two weeks without God. I don't know where I would be without a higher power and a higher system of thinking and beliefs guiding me. Mm. I legit be like, all right, Lord, I don't know what today going to look like, but I trust you. And I trust that you put me here for a reason. I don't question where I go. I don't question where I am. I don't question the the opportunities. I mean, I negotiate. And if the negotiations (laughs) ain't meeting the rate, then I know I say I say well Lord this is not a bit for me but I still even (laughs) work for I still work though like if it if it makes sense for me you know it's fine but I will say no I think you know you should have autonomy over where you where you where you show up but there are certain rooms that I've been in like I remember when I went to the Rock Nation brunch when the New York was in the Grammys was in New York and I was like society club yeah I was like Beyonce is standing right behind, right behind. <laughs> That's crazy. Okay, Fire, okay. Um, you know, so I don't, God will show you wherever you need to be. He will open the mm. doors that nobody thinks can be opened. And they can be opened if you trust God, if you try to show up. And so for me, when I navigate rooms, I don't think about people in the, I don't judge people by what they believe. I judge people by how they show up, their character, how kind they are to others. And then I keep it moving. I don't go into a place trying to uh, convert people. I don't go into, you know, these rooms being, being uh, the person that tries to push any beliefs on anyone, because I would hate if someone came into my office or my interview and was like, you know, you shouldn't believe in anything. Well, we're talking about music. (laughs) So let's talk about music. You know what I'm saying? Um, And so for me, what I've found is when those conversations do come up, do I absolutely talk about God? Yes. People have always asked me, you have this beautiful energy. You have this light about you. And I'm like- Let's go. That's the opportunity right there. (laughs) One word. One word. Do you know my friend G? (laughs) (laughs) Precisely. But now that's, that's- that's pretty much it. I don't think I don't overthink it. I trust God to put me where he needs me to be and to show up where he needs me to show up. And what happens is what so many of our pastors preach. If you are living like God wants you to live, people 
will be curious about mm-hmm. how you lead the life you lead. And then that's when most of the time that opportunity comes up where you said, like Remy, you said, like you can just say, have you met my friend Jesus? I know <laughs> yeah. this man. I know yeah. a man. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's good. Real. And then one thing that you said that, I re- that really resonated with me was um, the whole conversation piece, you know, everybody having that time to share their story. And I think even just, you know, like I mentioned, I work in the sports industry and, you know, you see people that are in there for one reason, you see people in there for a genuine reason, but I think through conversations, that's where you really get to share that. And that's what your industry is, you know, kind of based on telling the stories of people, yeah. their perspective and all that. So um, I think even in just, you know, Christianity in general, we see that Jesus had conversations with people day in and day out. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to ask like, what was your all time, um, favorite interview and how much like I guess how much has have you shifted your view on what conversations look like with people through like your industry so my favorite interview my favorite interview is Kobe Bryant just interview moment is Kobe Bryant um but I just had an interview with John Wall that was so fun, and I just loved it. Hey, that's so my boy. That's I saw that. I'm praying for that guy, bro. I hope he comes back and just drops 30 and 10, bro. For he everybody. For First everybody. of all, yes, Hope. Tell him. He's going to be better Yo. than ever. Boo-boo. <laughs> um, but I'll say this really quickly about the John Wall interview. Go to my IGTV and watch it. It's really good. I actually watched I, it yesterday. Yes, that's my. We are birthday twins, so like when I tell your you, birthday is September sixth too. It surely is. Mine is yeah. as well. So we triplets out here for what? Yeah. Are you? Do you know that yeah. apparently that's the day that the most people in the world were born? Wow. I, mean, I, I feel like I feel wow. like mad common right now. Then, but but like but also, <laughs> but I don't know what to say. Also, it's like okay. yes. but anyway. I know people always be like, that's my birthday too. I'm like, no, that's <laughs> everyone. Just, mom, just, just me, just me. Just me. Thank <laughs> you. Um, and so I remember watching John. Y'all remember when John came to the city and he was 19 and people thought he was going to save the Wizards. Mm-hmm. And like, All of us. Yes. Yeah, he was dug like, everywhere. Everyone. He's going to be the it. president. He's going to be the greatest person ever. Like they um, put so I was much- one of those people. Yes. It's that RG3 uh, thing. It's the RG3 yes. thing. It's, it's yeah. DC sports like, in general for real. They're going to save us. And I just remember being like, wow, we are the same age. And I can't even deal with too many people looking at me on the train. And like, mm. I just always wondered how he dealt That's with the pressure. So we had a really good conversation um, about it. And I've always wanted to interview, like, like we know each other. Uh, That's one of my actual friends. But like, I've never had the opportunity to interview him. So that was really awesome. Like, it was such a full circle moment to be able to chat with him and have a, have a, and he's also in a different place. He's a dad. He's back in school. He's getting his business management degree. He's helping communities in DC and in Raleigh. Like his mom meant, means so much to him that he's like very focused right now. And so it's really beautiful to see also rest in peace to Miss Francis, um, who is an angel. Mm. Um, But uh, Kobe Bryant. So yeah, Kobe, Kobe Bean Mamba Bryant. Um, so I got the opportunity to interview him because Nike was doing this camp, their first ever Mamba League um, camp in New York City. 
And so I know friends, I have friends at Nike and they were just like, yo, we want you to come and host it and interview uh, Kobe, are you down? And I'm like, is the sky blue? Like, yes. And so <laughs> we <laughs> obviously for sure. Kobe, like, yeah. right, right. Um, and so we went to this like this little like uh really nice community rec center in Harlem. And um they were like, Kobe's running late. There's a there's a storm that was coming up the East Coast, and he was gonna helicopter that day up to from Philly because he had another stop in Philly. He was on the press tour for his book, The Wizenard series um and he was gonna helicopter but the weather was really bad so he had to he had to be driven up so they were running a little late and he gets in there and they're like hey do you mind sharing a green room with kobe bryant and i'm like again is the sky blue like no matter what you say to me today unless it's crazy it's probably gonna be a yes or yes that's fine so he gets in there and that's so rare too you don't like you don't usually meet people at the caliber of a kobe bryant who's an oscar winner uh, you know, a, 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 a legend champion and a legend, living legend who you right. had to share the same space with. Celebrity events, they're usually like, yeah, so you will meet them for six seconds when you interview right. them and then you'll leave. Um, so we OC. were able to talk. Um, and the first thing he does when he walks into the room is greet everybody and look them in the eye and shake their hands. And he comes over to me and he's like, hey, Gia, so nice to meet you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for doing this. And I'm like, me? No, thank you for having me do this. Like, this is incredible. I'm so excited to be here. And so we sit down and we get in the space and I'm trying to play it cool, like whatever. And he just sits down. He's like, so like, what have you been up to? And I'm like, well, I haven't been writing any books or winning any Oscars or, you know, retiring from the league, but I have, you know, been hosting. (laughs) And I was able to tell him I saw his last game in DC and the way that he played the game was so meticulous and so beautiful. He looked like moving art. Like there was something wow. so dope about the way Kobe Kobe Bryant played the game of basketball. You you could tell he had taken a billion shots. Like you could tell he every spot that on the court that he knew he could make from. Like he was not, he didn't play when it came to basketball. And so, um, mm. you know, we were able to have a beautiful conversation. We talked about Gianna. We talked about his second chapter of life now that he was entering. And he was the most kind man and the most curious man. Every single person felt better. He was aware of his celebrity, the energy that he brought into the space. Um, and so uh, even before he passed, that was one of my favorite interactions, my favorite interviews ever. Um, Cause there was this little kid also during the event who was like, I can cross, I can cross you up Kobe. And he <laughs> said it and he didn't, Kobe didn't hear him the first time. And I was like, so this little kid out there just said, like, he, he can cross you up. And he was like, which one of y'all? And the little boy gets all scared and they point him out. And <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, don't be scared. Kobe, Kobe, Kobe's not, you know, Kobe's not mean. He wouldn't do that to you. Kobe says, oh, no. Nah. If I was still playing, I would definitely dunk on him. And I was like. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta let him know. Mama, Mama, Mama Sounds like Kobe. Mama, Mama Sounds like Kobe. Kobe. I was like, no wait, what? This is a seven-year-old. And so, you know, it yeah, was I do the same. Yeah, it was so like needless to say, that was one of the most that changed a lot about reinforced how important it is to understand who you are, whose you are, and what you are here to do. And Kobe understood that he is absolutely 
the person that's able to make somebody's day go from zero to a hundred by just looking them in the eye and just saying hello. Mm. Like he understood that power that he had. He understood his celebrity. He understood how to talk to people, you know, from the, the, the richest counties in Beverly Hills to the projects in Harlem. He didn't care mm. who you were. He was going to give you the respect and, the, and value your space and your time as a human being. And so for me, that just changed, reinforced again, what Donnie taught me, like being a good person who respects other human beings and gives them grace and uh, values their presence, because as we know, life is so short, is, is pretty much why I do what I do. I don't want to be here for, mm. you know, anything but my purpose and, you know, longevity and having a great career for sure. But if I can meet you and we can connect and it's a great experience, and I'm human, I have my days, but for the most part, if that's what I'm you know, here to do, then so be it. Like if that's what God has me on assignment to do, I think, you know, that's an awesome assignment to have. And so yeah. that, though, that interview definitely was the, one of the most powerful ones I've ever had. Yeah. It's that sure. beauty of just being able to say like the conversation is just, I see you, I'm, I hear you and we're sharing perspective. Yeah. You know, that's, and that's even with this podcast, I think, doing this we didn't know what it would be but we've learned that i could say I, I think we can all agree that we learn perspective can change lives more than you know just preaching at somebody yes yeah talking at somebody so man that's beautiful yeah no. and to add to that uh or to what you said about kobe i have the, the crazy thing is like regardless of his basketball leg- legacy i've never heard anyone say anything negative about this man like out, outside of the court, like ever, and I think that that speaks volumes because he could literally be the biggest jerk ever, he and could. he would still be a legend. But he didn't have, like just him offering up himself and just being this genuine person is like I don't know. I feel, I feel like that just speaks volumes in his life in his short like for, it was forty one, forty two when he passed away. Um, just like doing that in that little amount of time, it, it just it's, it's it's very inspiring. Yeah, he lived so and, many lives. Yeah. I want to make a little segue because I know your time is limited. Um, we have a, a a lot of our audience, they like relationship questions. And I tell okay. my, my my coworkers all the time that sometimes <laughs> I get tired of them. But I have a relationship question for you today. Um, okay. I know while you were navigating through the industry and your crazy schedule, especially when you were hosting for the Wizards, um, I'm sure that people were trying to date you. You may have been dating, but like, like if you were, how was balancing like dealing with someone else as well as juggling all these responsibilities um, at the same time. Like, how was that? Was it difficult? Were you not even here for it? Um, Were you open to it? Always open to it. I come from a family that like love is just in the, in the, in the details of everything we do. I want a family. I want love. I want all of that. And I don't think I have to necessarily sacrifice everything that I've been working for to do that. Cause I've seen so many successful women continue their careers and also take care of their families my mom being one of them um and so and also you know be married and have a husband and you know it's it's possible you probably are losing your mind I don't know how they did it but you know it's it's possible and so for me um dating has always been something that has not come easy for me um a lot of people assume I have a boyfriend hidden somewhere I'm not (laughs) that I would never be like oh my gosh, I have a man and I'm not going to share that I have a man. Like I wouldn't, there's no, how do I say uh, man. There, There's no way that, <laughs> like I'm not an R&B singer that needs to like, you know, show skin to get 
Like there's right. no reason for me to lie. It's not helping right. my brand to lie. So I don't understand right. why people think that's a thing. That's very weird. Um, so yeah, it's been uh, difficult for me. I don't, I'm learning now to really tailor my language towards speaking life and not being the person that's like, I, it's so hard. I can't find them. Like, no, I, it's not, it's just been something that hasn't come Amen. easy to me. That's in a the good path. word. Yeah. You might need to say that again. You might need You're to say that again. Victim. You're not a victim. You're not a victim. Yeah. And so I'm just like, <laughs> at the end of the day, you know, I believe God has been tailoring a man. He's taking a long time. Let's go. Tailoring a man who must be perfect. Things come to those who wait. You know what I'm okay. saying? Okay. Oh, I'm not trying to wait too long. I know my bio <laughs> says I'm 26 on my site. I have been locked out of my site for a year. I'm trying to get taken down. Let's God over that situation. But um, I'm 20. I'm 29. So, mm. you know, I'm definitely starting to want, you know, kids. I want a yeah. family. I want a, a love that is for me, that is God's tangible reflection of his love for me on earth. Like, right. I want that. Like, so I'm never mm-hmm. going to be the type to be like, yeah, girl, you know, I'm out. I'm not a savage. I don't know what Meg be talking about. <laughs> <laughs> that life. Yeah. Like, yes, I yeah. turn up with the rest of them, but I surely don't live that life. Um, I don't know how to live that life. I think um, men, my male friends have told me that I seem intimidating. And so Mm. I think that plays a factor in my dating life, which is very weird because if you speak to me, I'm literally the least intimidating person in America. Yeah. Um, So it gets to be weird because I also grew up in a time where women weren't like I in, in DC, I never had a problem meeting men they were always mm. very forward with with me like they was like Most yeah I'm definitely gonna, i'm gonna pull up like, <laughs> show Most it definitely. like what's good like no right never yeah, problem over here yes never <laughs> been a thing but when my Yo. when i moved to new york they don't they don't come up to anyone so i was just like okay so it it's always been something like my my i know that the person who is with me would have to love me for me also now that's mm. a factor um, because I've, I've also been in situations where I'm like, why do you want to come to all of my events? Why do you like, you know, it is, it, you I'm have to be careful about mm. how you move also. Yeah. So for yeah. me, um, I know that I am very open to, to dating and meeting somebody, uh, seriously. I date here and there sometimes more difficult than others. When, even when I was in the midst of my highest, most intense thing, I know how to make time for somebody that I'm interested in getting to know and sharing space with and sharing energy with. So that's not really something that like hinders me from dating. Um, But I think a lot of people assume that I am so busy that I cannot date. And I think that has been very uh, difficult for me to navigate, but that's not necessarily my problem. So a lot of men weed themselves out. (laughs) Well, Hey, y'all hear Y'all heard it here first. Um, For our male listeners. We don't need to repeat it. You heard it. You know, do what you want with the information. Mm. But um, we know we're coming up on time. <laughs> so wanted to leave, you know, we know, you know, you got to head out, but wanted to leave uh, some time for you to say any last words yeah. to any of our listeners uh, before we head out. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I would hope that everybody here understands that like, even in the midst of revolution and uprising, mm-hmm. our joy as black people is so important. So whether that joy looks like you eating a really good piece of cake and having a good time watching a Netflix film, like go mm-hmm. grab that. If that looks like you being with your family for an hour and y'all are just laughing and talking about nothing, go grab that. Like I yeah. really think it's so important um, to understand that love 
is so, so necessary within our communities, especially Black love. It's revolutionary. Um, and that's romantic love, friendships, things like that. We literally were sold off like cattle and weren't allowed to have long-term mm. relationships for the pain mm. that our ancestors had to go through and the prayers that we are literally living manifestations of. Yeah, We have to understand that the responsibility to love on our people is something we should not take lightly. And I hope yeah. that we, you know, life is short. One of my, one of my colleagues in the entertainment industry just passed away um, from suicide. And the pain that all of us feel like looking at it because the internet is very easy to act like you're okay. Like it's very easy yeah. to text somebody. If you think somebody is going through something, please go pull up, FaceTime them, call them if That's you good. see yeah. their eyes because yeah. it's easy to post. It's easy to put a filter over everything. Right. These days, if we are yeah. struggling with our mental health and I'm totally here for therapy, I do not believe that God would have made some people who, you know, are great at helping people think um, be on this earth if there weren't a need for it. And so if you're yeah. a person that needs Jesus and therapy, psh, go to it. I definitely, right. am a, you know, I've only been to therapy once myself, so I know I need to go and do more. But for me, um, I, I am certain that that. Our, our mental health, our joy, everything that we feel we need to do to have the best, most enjoyable, loving, caring, carefree life, we need to do. Um, and so yeah. I just hope people take care of themselves. Remember to stay connected to the source. This life is bumpy, but the one thing that is unchanging is God. Um, yes, and, and love on yourself, man. That's like. Tell people you love them. Jesus yeah. Christ, we got to get out of that thing where it's like, oh, that's weird. Nah, every day, tell somebody yeah, you love nah, them. Yeah. Ain't nothing yeah, weird. Sure. Man, well, yeah. Condolences to your friend, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Huh? Oh, I said condolences to your friend, by the thank way. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it's been wild. Yeah. yeah. Well, Gia, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for taking the time uh, out of your Saturday morning, afternoon to come chat with us. Um, they can find you at Gia Peppers on all on sources, right? Yes. And everything. Yes. Keep it keep it consistent. Yes. Um, and yeah, y'all know where to find us at PROJ330. Feel free to share this episode with anybody you feel it might affect or impact. Um, but yeah, man. Thank you, Gia. It's thank the greatest podcast. Thank you, Gia. Appreciate you. Thank and you, guys. You guys are doing great work. I'm excited to hear this and keep, please keep telling everybody about Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm a kid. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> hey, that's the why. But yeah, man, that's the greater podcast, and we out. Peace. Peace. Peace.